Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome to 3C Amplified. I'm your host, Jacqueline DeStremps, and I'm here to highlight the businesses, nonprofits, and individuals collaborating to amplify their impact in the community. This series is sponsored by Another Hand Advantage, where we create marketing strategies for community-minded small businesses and nonprofits who want to amplify their impact by taking the stress out of digital marketing. Joining me in the studio today is Lisa Scarpinato, CEO and co-founder of Kitchen on the Street, and Dr. Stephen Chakmakian, <laughs> Chief Medical Officer uh, with United Healthcare's Community Plan of Arizona. Welcome. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> See, I practiced ahead of time and then, then I, I sec- started second guessing myself with the last names. <laughs> well, thank you both so much for being here in the studio today. Um, let's uh, jump right in. Lisa, why don't you um, just tell us a little bit about yourself um, and how you got involved with Kitchen on the Street? Sure. I uh, grew up in the Glendale area, and about 12 or 13 years ago, we were trying to find some good volunteer opportunities for our daughter. Uh, We felt like as a family, you know, we wanted to get in and really serve the community. And what we found is that most nonprofits require students to be 16 or older. So it was very difficult for us to find regular opportunities. So um, we did the hit and miss ones, but um, we've we just started to look around to educate ourselves on the community to uh, to try to find out if there was a group somewhere that needed our help. And uh, through the course of that investigation, we invited some people over to our house for dinner. My husband's a cook, so we do this frequently. Um, and it's a good thing. I have to wash the dishes, but I get to eat. So it all works yeah. out perfectly. Um, but it was a husband, wife, and daughter. And the man had just gotten a job uh, in, in that neighborhood I grew up in. He was the charter school principal. So I really felt like I wanted to ask him how things were going because I'd moved away pretty early after after high school and college. So during the course of our conversation, it's typical dinner like you would be having at your house, lots of food, fun, laughter. I said, hey, how's your school year going? Expecting him to talk about things related to education that in all honesty, might be a little boring. Um, so I was sort of prepared for that. <laughs> Not at all what he did. He looked down at his dinner plate. He just pushed it away and he just sat there and tears started to roll down his face. Mm. He literally cried at the table. And after I gave him a couple minutes to compose himself, he explained, he said, you know, I was just in the school cafeteria talking to a teacher during lunch and most of the kids were throwing their stuff away, finishing and leaving. And he said, one girl wasn't doing that. She just kept walking further and further into the cafeteria. So he said, I kind of needed to keep my eye on her to see what she was up to. And he said, I watched her walk right up to a big black trash can, reach in and pull out a piece of pizza. And he said, I was across the room and I could see teeth marks in that pizza and it wasn't from her. So he watched her do until her pockets were full, basically. She would look at a piece of food. If it looked good, she'd wrap it in a napkin, put it in her pocket. And once her pockets were full, she left. And what he found is that she was from a low-income family. She had a brother and sister, so three three children in the family. They ate breakfast and lunch at school through the federally funded breakfast and lunch program, but they didn't eat on weekends. Mm. So as a second grader, she thought she would solve the family food problem by collecting food, keeping it in her pockets, and then taking it home for the weekend. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Shocking, to say the least. Um, I feel like I grew up here. This is my city. My my initial thought was, why isn't this on the news every single night in the front page of the newspaper or Google or whatever it is? Right. Uh, however we get our news. It's changed a lot in 12 or 13 years. <laughs> um, but it wasn't. And so my husband and I kind of exchanged looks and we thought, all right, if we've been looking for somebody to serve, it's pretty much been brought right to our dinner table, right? So we have 
we have a choice to make. So after our friends left that night, I was doing dishes. I was doing my good dude, my <laughs> good duty. Um, and uh, he he did some research, my husband, and he said, all right, we have a hunger problem in our city. I think we should start a nonprofit to help these kids. I think we should call it Kitchen on the Street. And I think we should start tonight. What well, there you, you go. <laughs> I thought he was a little crazy. Oh. I'll be honest. I still think he's a little crazy. Um, but that's what we ended up doing, formed the nonprofit, got right to it. We found that the best way to serve these kids is by partnering with schools and handing out we call it a bag of hope. It's weekend nutrition. So kids show up at the nurse's office on Friday when school lets out. They uh, Their backpack is opened. The bag is dropped in and they take that home and they eat the contents over the weekend so that they can come back to school ready to learn on Monday. Wow. All that in one in one evening, one dinner. dinner. Got to watch out when you come to our yeah. house. <laughs> it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Who knows what will happen? <laughs> exactly. No, that that's. I mean, that's what I really love to hear, though, is those stories of where, you know, how that idea became, you know, what it is now. And we'll definitely, you know, get into that a little bit more. I'm going to go ahead and say, Doctor C. <laughs> that works. Yes. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself how and how you're involved and a little bit about it's the United Healthcare's Community Plan of Arizona, correct? That's right. Yes. Yep. So um I'm also more or less from Arizona like like Lisa. Um grew up here, uh went away for a little while for school and medical school, but came back and trained here at St. Joe's Hospital. Went into practice. Um and my practice was downtown. Um generally speaking served uh, in family practice is what I do served all kinds of folks, but it was a relatively heavier Medicaid eligible uh, population that I that I had um, seen as patients. And at the time, um, after about four years into practice, I had an opportunity to actually um, go work part-time for a Medicaid health plan here in the, in the state. And I thought that'd be interesting to learn a little bit more about the health plan side of um, the equation. You know, the physician side and the health plan side, we have to work together. Mm -hmm. I ended up working there for actually about um, four years full time before United Healthcare approached me about becoming their chief medical officer for the health plans that they run here in Arizona. Community plan nationally for United Healthcare are the divisions that serve Medicaid uh, eligible recipients. So in Arizona, we serve today about 450,000 um, access Medicaid eligible recipients in uh, four different health plans, all different types of needs, um, individuals with um, developmental um, and intellectual disabilities, individuals with long-term care health needs, um, as well as, uh, you know, regular Medicaid recipients, children, moms, adults. So I've been with United Healthcare in that position for about eight years. Happy to be here and speak about um, some of our goals on how we try to interact with the community differently, I think in ways that um, people don't necessarily think of a health plan as interacting right. with the community, um, specifically in ways that we can help um, address and think about the social determinants of health that impact people in our community and our members' lives. Because if we don't think about that differently and act to try to help address those social determinants, we are not doing everything that we can do. And, and we're not going to certainly improve the health and wellness and well-being um, of the people that we're trying to serve. Generally speaking, I mean, food insecurity is one of the social determinants of health. But generally speaking, um, social determinants of health um, are estimated to cost somewhere between 40 and 60 percent uh, or generate, you know, health care costs. Right. So that's why we have to think yeah. about things differently. Right. So we touched on you the word, I guess, word for it, food insecurity. What are some of the things, Lisa, you said that your husband that night kind of started looking into, 
what the issues were in that community, but just overall, what are some of the things that stem from these food insecurities, especially in, in children? Well, I'll be honest, when he did the research, it was very difficult to find because we weren't talking about food insecurity mm -hmm. in our state, let alone our country. So we've come a long way in the last 12 or 13 years with some major organizations coming in and and helping us raise awareness and educate. Um, Dr. C can probably talk more to um, some of the medical things, but, but just if we just simply say, have you ever been hangry? Right. I know it's like a joke, but truthfully, right. like as adults, we get angry. Um, it's hard for us to focus. There's a lot of things, but we've been taught how to overcome that. Like mm -hmm. it's not appropriate to behave that way. But a child showing up on Monday morning, not having eaten at school, they don't have that ability. They don't have that composure and they haven't been taught yet to, to kind of stuff that down and get over it. So what we hear most from our schools is a focus issue. Mm -hmm. Children can't sit down. They can't really even control their physical, let alone their mental. And, and that's simply because their brain and body haven't been properly fueled by nutrition, which comes from food. But what we realize is it's not just that child in the classroom because the teacher's attention is now on that child. Right. Mm -hmm. So the teacher is not cannot teach all the other children. So um, we did some research that I'm sure we're going to chat about later, um, just academically, the changes, but it really turns into the entire classroom getting a better, better education once these kids get fed over the weekend, as opposed to just those children who get the actual food. Right. And so, did you mention, is it is it just elementary schools that you're serving currently or... Our Bag of Hope is primarily focused um, or put together for appropriate nutrition for an elementary age student. We do have some middle schools. And this last year, we had several uh, requests from high schools. And we realized that there's really nobody serving our high schools. So we have a pilot project with a charter high school in central Phoenix that we're working on now. And we're hopefully um, going to have some really good measurements to um, to talk about once the school year ends, but, but we do serve all. And in addition to the food backpack, if we have, um, if, if the school has the ability to host a family food pantry, and that can be something as small as two shelves mm -hmm. to a whole room, then we try to find community partners that will help donate food for that so that the entire family can then benefit because that is obviously an issue. It's not just, you know, one child randomly right. in a family. There's right. frequently more people in the family that need assistance. Right. So. Oh yeah, definitely. So then touching then on the, I guess, the medical side of that, she, you know, as Lisa was saying, you know, folk, lack of focus for the kids and um, just kind of some of the behavioral things that come up from that. What are some other things that we see as kind of a side effect of these types of um, food insecurities or any of the other issues that you had touched on earlier? Yeah, well, I think Lisa was off to a great start playing, playing <laughs> physician with regard to the impact. No, but seriously, I mean, you think about the acute, just the, the immediate mm -hmm. um, impact on health. So we imagine, I imagine, you know, the end of the school week comes um, an individual child knowing that they're going to go home and not have enough to eat until they return on Monday. And I think about that and just think about the immediate feelings from a behavioral health mm -hmm. um, perspective, which impacts our physical health perspective, right. what that's going to do. And it creates anxiety, you know, it creates stress, in some instances, some depression, maybe anger. <clears throat> and you already pointed out, it certainly impacts the ability to focus and learn and study, whether that's a direct consequence of having nutritious food or, or not being, you said, angry, you know, <laughs> or just being able to have, to have that weight lifted off mm -hmm. so that the kids, kids can focus on what they want to focus on. In addition to that, when you think about a physical activity as an impact, if you, have, if you don't have the right nutrition, 
um, you're not going to want to be physically active, assuming you have the your you have the capacity and the ability and the location where you can you know experience physical activity. So, I think those are the most immediate impacts. But then when you start thinking about the longer term impacts, there have been multiple studies that have demonstrated that those type these types of stresses on children uh, add up over time and contribute to long term chronic health conditions. But then just doubling back to the food itself, if you do go home and you don't have don't have um, and you have food insecurity, the kind of food that is often purchased um, by the family is going to be generally speaking of lower lower nutrient lower nutrient density type foods, lower cost, right. as a, less fresh fruits and vegetables, mm-hmm. um, that that type of thing, that typically generates um, increased weight, right? Leads to obesity in children, which oftentimes leads to obesity in adults. Right, and with that, with that, you get all kinds of health conditions. Right, so and some of them are pretty obvious, but diabetes, um, heart heart disease, and heart conditions, um, arthritis, premature degeneration of the joints later in life, and it feeds on itself. Right, so if the children um, are, are um, obese or getting obese, it makes physical activity that much harder. Right. It also makes certain levels of acceptance sometimes with friends and in, 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 in their social circles means more difficult, creates more, more emotional um, side of more emotional impacts. So you just see how these things can just feed on each other from a, an immediate short term reaction, which itself is poor. Right. But then how it leads to longer term. It goes um, from chronic- just being hungry to just all these other that's right. Like you said, emotional. I can just imagine, you know, most kids on Friday when that bell rings are excited to get out the door and get home and start their weekend. And I can just imagine if that child is, uh, you know, or children from a family are they're not so excited to leave because then that means, you know, hey, where are we going to get food this exactly. weekend? We have a few board members that were hungry kids. They were food insecure growing up and they share now that they struggle with weight. There's that mentality, uh, the scarcity mentality. It's here right now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to eat all that I can, even though they realize like they're an adult, they're not in that situation anymore. There's that mental trigger and they look at food completely differently than the rest of us look at food. And you wouldn't even think about that until someone opens up and tells you. Uh, But, but, Right along with the things Dr. C said, it's it starts and it's it looks like oh this is only short term, but in in truthfulness, there's long term effects that can people can struggle with their entire life because of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even if it is to the point where you are able to now afford to feed yourself yeah. and your family, it's still there's something lingering there. Like you mentioned, there's something lingering there about that from their past and. Mm-hmm. And what they had gone through. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me a little bit about, so you had that idea and you decided that night, here's what it's going to be. And I think the hardest part for me would have been coming up with the name, but you even had that name. Hey, even my had husband kitchen. had that. He just, he's good with that. So. <laughs> so what were those next steps for you guys then? What did you... Where did it go from there? Um, You know, again, 12 or 13 years ago, we weren't talking about this much. So I did a lot of research on the internet and I found that the East Coast and the West Coast both had backpack programs. Um, Some were done by churches, some were done by uh, food banks. But whenever I would reach those folks, they were somewhat proprietary about what they were putting in the bags. Mm -hmm. And, And I know I probably not one of my finer moments, but on the phone with someone, I finally said, look, I'm 3000 miles away from you. I'm not going to compete with you. I just want to feed kids in my city. Right, Will you just right. tell me what you're doing? Yeah. And the lady was like, okay, let me just tell you, here's the deal. 
we don't really have like a budget. So if we get, you know, tuna and potato chips this week, then that's what goes in the food backpack. Mm -hmm. So that was a really defining moment for me because I thought if we're really wanting to reach these children so that we're giving them something nutritious that truly fuels their body so they can be an academic um, success, then we want to be specific about what we're feeding them. And I took it a step further and I thought, I can't just throw cans of food in there because first of all, can they cook it? Can they not? I don't know what their situation is. How old are they? Like those variety, you know, kinds of things come up. And then you also think, and then how much do they eat at one time? So proportions mm -hmm. are obviously important. So we, we're very specific in what we put in our food backpacks. Um, mostly it is individually portioned meals or snacks. We try to be healthy. Um, but we do, we have recently added a family meal because we realize the importance of sitting down to the family dinner table. And so um, we feel like if we can address that with the family so that they're not having to figure that out, it's just in the bag. You just cook it or heat it up or add water or whatever it is kind of thing, then um, we feel like we have more more success with them actually sitting down, looking their kids in the eye and how's your day right. kind of thing. And, yeah. and then, of course, that breeds a lot of positive things, larger vocabularies, higher grade point averages, lower rates of substance abuse, which is good for them individually, good for the family, good for the community and good for Arizona. Right. So when you were looking at the nutritional value. Where did you start with that? Where there is there anyone that you partnered with in the community or on on that information? Or you know, originally we didn't. We just um, tried to find the right foods with with good nutrition. Uh, but in the past few years, we've had a, a nutrition and dietitian group come alongside us and evaluate our bags and help us. In fact, the last year we spent focusing on making those healthier. And there's that balance because they're kids. So right. they have to want to eat it. Right. Um, so it has to have, you know, some kind of curb appeal, so to speak. <laughs> you don't um, want them taking home the bag and, of, and you know. Yeah. If they're not going to eat it, going. what's the point? Yeah. And then they also have to be able to carry it home. And in Arizona, we have heat issues. Right. So you have to think about what that's like. And then again, you also have kids who some of them won't be able to cook this. So it has to be eaten like it is. It has to be a pop top or it has to be, you know, a rip open kind of thing. Um, but like examples, we put in some fruit and cereal bars and we go on the healthy end for that. We just added a um, sunflower kernel bag because a lot of our schools are completely nut free because of allergies. Oh, so right. we don't want to do that. Even though it's a good protein source, we don't necessarily think that's going to work. We put in an applesauce, but it's you know non-GMO, um, no artificial flavors. It's 100%. We have a fruit uh, and vegetable snack that the same thing. It's not just like a fruit snack you're going to get that's all, you know, jelly. Right. It's, it's good, con you know, good content and good nutrition because we feel like we really do want them to, to have their brain properly fueled. We're, we're about academic success here. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit then about these community partnerships then, or the different ways that you were mentioning before about um, how you're wanting to work with the community in some different ways to think about healthcare on a, on a different level. Well, I think it starts with great partners. Um, you know, like kitchen on the street, and so did <clears throat> yeah. So United Healthcare, um, like a lot of corporations, have um, uh, an interest in trying to um, have volunteerism and be part of our culture. So, as part of our do good and live well um, employee volunteerism, in this instance, we're able to partner with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, and on Sunday, April fourteenth, which um, uh, it was one of the three events that happens this year for this particular to try to help support this particular Bags of Hope program. We go down, uh, volunteers go to the Diamondback Chase Field 
and uh, participate in this thing called Pack the House, in which case there's a packing party, basically with a whole host of volunteers packing. Oh, fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. packing fifteen to 17,000 meals, I think, on average that are packed so that the kids can then have those to take home for themselves and for the families on the, on the weekends, as we talked about. There's been a total of 49,000 um, weekend meals packed per year, and that's supposed to be for um, one uh, – I think one of it's one, every seat. Yeah, one meal for every seat in Chase yep. Field, 49,000. Oh, wow. okay. And we do that yep. every year yeah. in about three different increments so that um, it works out that way. But, yeah, we've been doing it for about seven years now. So that's met great. Some fabulous United Healthcare employees that really care about their community. Right. And is it just United Healthcare employees that participate in this? Yes, okay. in that one. Right. We do have volunteer events at our warehouse, um, and I, I'm sure we're going to have an opportunity to tell folks how to get of involved course. with that. But yes, <laughs> yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off, Dr. C. No, you didn't. <laughs> no, you, you said seven years, and uh, I think altogether uh, 257,000 meals altogether so far um, packed through those, those three annual events. Wow. And so how did um, how did you get involved with that then? Was that something that you sought out or was that something that Lisa reached out? How did that come together? We're all about how those collaborations and partnerships were made. So the Arizona Diamondbacks, I'm not sure how if you understand how wonderful they are, but they are <laughs> completely wonderful. Um, I heard uh, their CEO, Derek Hall, say once that um, – each year, they give more to charity than all of our other professional sports teams together combined do um, on an annual basis. And I have to say, um, just, I mean, they're phenomenal in that regard, but just partnering us, realizing that we had a similar focus and that this would be a great partnership and let's be creative and call it Pack the House. Right. Um, they, they've got phenomenal people there that come up with some great ideas and <laughs> this is one of them. And we've definitely benefited over right. the last seven years, which means the kids in our community yeah. that are getting this bag are ultimately the ones who are benefiting. Mm-hmm. So, right. What other types of activities then have some of the uh, volunteers participated in? So there's a lot, but in thinking about this, <clears throat> we wanted to think about things that specifically tie back to food insecurity or social mm-hmm. determinants. One of the ones that has really been impactful um, over the past two years has been something that United Healthcare uh, has been doing called Empowering Health. And uh, this has impacted several states in which we have health plans. Uh, but in Arizona, um, I believe it's been about uh, $2 million or so in grants um, over the past few years. About $500,000 of grants went to um, Vision Quest, which is to help provide um, vision services and screenings uh, for underserved and underprivileged kids. We've partnered with Brighter Way to bring dental services also to uh, both Medicaid population we serve, as well as um, uh, underinsured or uninsured um, kids. And we also have um, given $100,000 to the Arizona Partnership for Immunization to help improve immunization rates. But we also gave half a million dollars to the association, the Association of Arizona Food Banks. So that has been a really um, interesting uh, relationship and interesting opportunity where lots of times food insecurity comes less from the absence of food being available Mm -hmm. and more around the logistics of getting healthy fresh fruits and vegetables to people where they need it the most. So one of the logistics issues was around how do you get in, how do you get this produce to the right places? Mm-hmm. So United Healthcare's um, funding helped go to uh, pay for refrigerated food trucks uh, to help bring food from Southern Arizona up to the Valley um, so that we can include far more fresh fruits and vegetables and, uh, and other produce in a lot of the meals that are served, whether it be through partnerships like St. Mary's Food Banks or this type of partnership. Um, And then we also help some smaller food banks um, get refrigeration units 
in their food banks such that they can uh, store and keep otherwise what would otherwise be perishable items right. to try to help improve that nutrient rich um, fresh you know fresh fruits fruits and vegetables in the in the foods that they can help serve, bring to the community. So that's a, that's a good example of where we've um, where we've been able to contribute. I think in that in that in that way. Yeah, and I actually I want to say um, I had um, representatives from Tempe Community Action Agency, and they were on to talk about all of their different programs. But one of those was the Tempe Food Bank, and I believe it was last year they received their their refrigerated truck, and they said just the. The doors that opened to what they were capable then of doing, how many more people they were able to serve wide open, because like you said, it's not so much about it, uh, the food itself, but how do we now get this food to them? Anyone listening, I encourage you at any time to take a tour of a food bank and you'll see shelves and shelves and shelves and shelves filled with non-perishable items. And we always hear, you know, oh, we're having a food drive, drop off your non-perishable but could you imagine if that's all you ate were boxes and cans of food? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and how do we get this fresh, you know, there's all this fresh produce out there um, that maybe isn't necessarily being used for up at from our farmers markets and our grocery stores. How are we getting that out to the people who actually could use those items? So, yeah, that's great. I, I knew the Diamondbacks were part of it. I didn't know if I was also something that United Healthcare was part of as well. I have to say, it really is a logistics problem. It's not a food problem. Mm-hmm. It's estimated that 40% of what we grow and produce in this country, food is wasted mm-hmm. and it goes in the landfill. It is the largest source of waste in our landfills. So we have food that's going in landfills and we have hungry people. We right. really have a logistics problem, not a food problem. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're very grateful uh, that United Healthcare has taken a look at that and specifically in the state of Arizona is addressing that. It, again, serves the same kids we're trying to reach every single weekend. Right. So since we're on that topic of logistics, then so how how do you receive your donations and where does it go from getting that food and then getting it into the hands of those kids? So we obviously take food donations. We would love to have folks who would be interested in hosting a food drive for us. We can let them know what our most needed items are. Um, but Really, we buy food, specific food for the food backpacks, and it is we buy it in semi-truck loads, similar to our other food banks. We work with companies that only sell to food banks, so we're getting the best prices. So our buying dollar goes a lot further than yours might right. be at the grocery store kind of thing. In fact, if you go to the grocery store and buy the contents of our bag, it's a little over $7, and we can do that for $3.50. Wow. So a person's dollars go a lot further mm-hmm. with us, twice as far. We can feed twice as many kids, so to right. speak, as um, as opposed to folks buying it on their own. And we are a qualifying charity for the dollar for dollar tax credit. So anyone who's looking for a place to use their tax dollars, I'd be happy to help them with that anytime. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But we basically buy our food in bulk. We uh, have a warehouse in Northeast Phoenix around Cave Creek in the 101. And so we pretty much every week of the school year, we have a group of 25 to 35 people come in and pack our food backpacks. We pack them in plastic bags. We try to be green. So we take donations of plastic bags because everyone seems to have way more than they'll ever need (laughs) uh, kind of thing. And so then we put them in boxes. Our school districts come once a month and pick up. We like to save on fuel. We don't, they don't have, you know, the capacity to come every week and we don't either. So we send out about a month's worth at a time. And then our schools report back to us each week how many they handed out um, versus how many kids are enrolled. And sometimes there's some confusion in that. There's a lot of chaos 
uh, involved in living a life of poverty. And Mm -hmm. even though Friday is your day to get to school and get your food backpacks, things happen. Right. You're not there. So they don't necessarily every single week get one. Um, But that's the intention. If they're at school, they're provided one. So that's kind of how it works. And where when you were starting out, where were you working to get to start these partnerships to because obviously you you understand the importance of having some partnerships and having the other um, community partners. So where did you start when you were looking at partnerships? Anywhere and everywhere. <laughs> what I didn't realize is it's who you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we didn't know anyone. Right, right. <laughs> so in all honesty, the Arizona Diamondbacks were the very first um, foundation that uh, came alongside us um, to support us financially. But um Discount Tire Company, their corporate offices are here. They have been phenomenal as well. United Healthcare, longtime mm-hmm. partners. We're in the 13-year mark. I would say probably around five years, you started to see organizations really get on board and realize that this, this has long-term impacts. It's not just short-term kind of thing. Right. I really believe serving these kids today is really investing in tomorrow's workforce they're going to have jobs mm-hmm. and they're going to be sitting right next to most of us. What are they going to be? Are they going to be people who have cognitive abilities to work through their these problems or are they going to be suffering from nutritional deficiencies when they were young and they're still struggling now? Right. So that's, that's my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> and going back then to obviously, you know, you have the outreach with employees and volunteering um, at that, like, for instance, that DBACS event and such. What are some other ways then that you are also working in these communities to get that information out there about ways that United Healthcare can help in the community? Sure. So, <clears throat> again, keeping on the theme of kids. Um, so we serve a lot of children. Mm-hmm. So obviously, it's it's naturally a place where we're going to focus a lot of our attention. And I couldn't agree with you more. Our investment um, in all of our members is critically important. But our investment in the kids that we're serving, trying to make sure that we're bringing all of uh, the healthcare services they need to them and meeting those needs is is sort of fundamental to what we do. These other um, these other efforts and outreach is really going. I, I hope. Um, the extra mile or going beyond what a healthcare company might normally do to try to help uh, improve the health and lives of kids that we serve. So to that end, there's a couple of um, programs that we that we have and partnerships. And they're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's preface that with, and they're awesome. And they're awesome. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> awesome. Um, so one of them we do with the Isaac School District here locally is actually uh, once a year, it's a full day event really at the school. It's a back to school drive. And we have volunteers from United Healthcare, but also community volunteers, including um, social sh- social service partner organizations that we have developed relationships with. There's about 2,000 people that day that um, come to the event at the school. It's sort of set up in stations around sort of the central portion of the of the school. There, we fundraise and take donations for school supplies from United Healthcare, and then we bring those backpacks and those school supplies, bring those to the event. We pass those out to the children during that day's events. But in addition, while they're there, we bring in mental, uh, mental medical and dental providers. Uh, we also bring in um, uh, social service providers who can help us with clothing for kids who mm-hmm. may have certain needs, also haircuts. We do that too at the event. Wow. And so really it's a full day event to try to help uh, really address what are some of those unmet needs around getting prepared for the school year. Again, it goes back to 
how are you going to learn? How are you going to learn? How are you going to be successful if you don't even have some of those um, some of those basic needs? Right. But also just taking a look at the whole family. What are the needs that the family has? And then taking the opportunity, again, we have them there, to make sure we're meeting those core medical and dental service needs that they have for their age for their age, age ranges. They even have a mobile unit that does eye care, eye testing. So eye care for kids shows up with this knocked out, <laughs> looks like a huge RV, but it's all just for eye cares tests for kids. It's awesome. What I love about that is in the Isaac School District, it's the largest school districts that that we serve, or I should say we have the most children in that district. Mm-hmm. 850 of their children take home a food backpack every oh, wow. weekend. So I think that tells you about the demographics. It's in the South Phoenix area okay. around like 35th Avenue, just south of the I-10, and it runs west. So um, I'm not sure how many schools are in it, but we're partnered with eight of them. So wow. I know that it's pretty significant. Mm-hmm district. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. As far as what schools and districts that you are served by your programs, Lisa, is it specific for you? I mean, I know there's probably only so much, (laughs) only so much that you can do, but are there specific areas that you're serving? So again, this was such a learning experience. When we first started this, we um, started out of our house. We would buy the food at the grocery store, invite our friends over once a month and pack bags and then take them to our schools. Mm -hmm. And we started with with the grade school I went to. So the Washington Elementary School District um, was our first and we kind of branched out, you know, to more schools in that district. And we got a phone call from one of our local um, food banks and they said, hey, we heard you doing these food backpacks. And I thought to myself, it's in our backyard. How do you yeah, know? How like, do you know? It's a secret. <laughs> <laughs> and I was kind of scared. And so we met and we went and uh, I met the director and she was fabulous, um, has become a great friend. But she said, so we um, we do food backpacks also. But she said, we're we are geographically limited just to the Washington Elementary School District. And so that to me was kind of a heads up like, okay, I need to find out who the other players are, are that are doing this. Right. And I want to be friends with them. We're in this together. We're not competition. We're doing the same thing for the same reason. Right. So how do I find out who they are and then not step on their toes? So I will just share on the east side of town, there are some organizations. We do not have any geographic limitations. So if I get an application from a school that is in a district that I know one of these other players works in, then I'm going to try to make that introduction. If that organization can serve them right away, then we definitely want to do that. If not, and we have the capacity to, we'll do that until we can pa- you know, kind of pass them off to the preferred partners, so right. to speak. But we're in a lot of districts. Isaac is our largest one, and that's South Phoenix. Uh, we're up the 51 in the Creighton District. We have some charter schools along there as well. We're in the PV Unified School District, which most people don't think there's any need in PV, right. but there is. There is everywhere, um, yeah. Washington Elementary School District. We're as far west as the Nottaberg District, which is the west side of Surprise. Okay, I was going to say, I don't even, I didn't even I know, know that was. <laughs> me either. Uh, me either. And I'm trying to think of, there. I'm sure there's more. We have 30 different schools that hand okay. out the food backpacks. Wow. So there's quite a few to keep track of. Yeah, so definitely. Yeah. And then as far as United Healthcare, what types of, I, I mean, I, I assume obviously United Healthcare is all over. So that the program would be too, but is, are there any areas specifically in um, Maricopa County that are, that you're serving? Well, t- to your point, we're, um, we service the entire county, including right. uh, Hill and Pinal counties and, um, and actually Pima County, depending upon which health plan type it is, right. we actually have um, service people all over the state. Um, but I would agree that um, most of the closest and I think most meaningful relationships we've developed with the school system so far have been in Maricopa County, uh, Isaac's being a key one. 
uh, we're also looking to, and, and hoping to work with more school districts, um, uh, the Pendergrass uh, School District mm-hmm. and, a few o- yep. <laughs> and a few others um, looking for uh, partnerships in, in Pima County as well. And again, it's just about um, slowly, it's not just developing, I think, an enormous number of relationships. I think it's about developing meaningful right. relationships where we can have a true lasting uh, impact and go into it um, asking really more about what we what the needs are. And what we can help bring, mm-hmm. as opposed to thinking or imagining right. assuming what we assuming what, what the what issue we, is, and then yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Um, so, one of the ways in which we've partnered with another organization called Playworks, which is fantastic, mm-hmm. and again, it goes toward. Um, so you know about I do. Yeah. So it <laughs> also goes toward um, again children in schools, and it all goes toward both the academics and the overall well-roundedness of kids. And the idea around Playworks um, is that. You know, we want to have – they want to have organized play. They want to take recess to sort of like the next level. And in doing that, um, really have um, children be comfortable and accepted in um, in recess time, uh, have um, student leaders that um, can help lead groups and help uh, make sure that everybody's being included in the recess, that it's structured, all from the standpoint that by setting that up that way and by uh, making it a safe, fun recess environment, what what Playworks has seen, and I'm not an expert on their statistics, but what they've <laughs> seen is that um, a school attendance goes up. The effective class time for the te- for the children and the teachers goes up. You mentioned that earlier mm-hmm. about the teachers. They're able then to help um, the kids who come in, they settle down faster and they're able to teach them better. The physical activity that they otherwise might not get from being in a structured, safe play environment, they now get, again, to their health and wellness and to their weight and, and healthy mm-hmm. healthy development. So Playworks is a partner that we work with in multiple schools across mostly Maricopa County, but I know they've got schools across the state. So that's another example of a way in which we're trying to look for the types of organizations that are aligned to impact children and our members in a way that makes sense from a healthcare right. and a total health and wellness and a mental health perspective as well. Mm-hmm. So on that note, what types of partners then are you work best with what you're doing then? And what are some of those characteristics then? I mean, obviously you, you're working with Kitchen on the Street and I assume that's going well because, you know, you're both sitting here. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Playworks is one that you you just mentioned. So what are some things that have made those partnerships so beneficial? I mean, outside of what you were talking about, looking at, making sure you're asking those questions to see if what you have to offer is really what they need. But on, what more than that are you looking at? We're looking, first of all, for alignment around mm-hmm. what what the individuals we serve need the most and what's going to impact their their overall integrated sort of health and wellness experience the most. And we've talked a lot about food insecurity, and that's definitely way up there as far as a social determinant that has a profound impact on people's health. But the one that may have even more of an impact on people's health is um, homelessness. Mm-hmm. So an organization that United Healthcare has partnered with here in Arizona is Chicanos por la Causa. With support from Access, Arizona Healthcare Cost Containment System, the Medicaid state agency, to develop a unique way in which we could help support financially funding for the um, rejuvenation of an apartment Mm -hmm. um, building in Mm -hmm. Maryville. And with that, being able to set aside 65 of those um, units that that were developed in that unit with Chicanos por la Casa for individuals we serve. This is largely adults, but they may very well have, they do have children and sometimes babies in significant need, but who are experiencing homelessness. 
And through those units, we're able to identify individuals, we're able to assess what their needs are, to work with them, understand if that's something that they'd like to receive or work, work on with us. And if so, bring them into that safe housing environment. In that environment, then bring all kinds of um, wraparound services, mm-hmm. we say. So medical, behavioral, dental services, social supports, all aimed at helping to helping that individual to get uh, stabilized from a health and social perspective, then work with them, develop trust uh, and a good relationship with our care managers and our support staff that work with that program um, called My Connections and My Housing. And to the point where hopefully what we can do is help them then, if you will, graduate in time. Graduation being either they can move from that um, that, that free or no-cost housing situation to a partial cost or even you know, help get a get a position, help get clothing, right. help get a help get a job, and then even move out of the housing and have be stable for themselves, stable for their relationships, or for their families and their children. So, that's um, one of the more I think meaningful and significant partners that we've worked with here around housing, because that has such an amazing has such a tremendous impact on on what we can do for individuals and how we can help them really turn around their lives in many ways. Um, because um, of that impact. Right. Our intention is to be um, doing a similar pr- uh, pr- project like that in Pima County uh, here shortly. And I imagine with having that stable housing, it keeps them engaged in that program longer. So obviously, the, the longer they're in that program and they're able to receive those services, the better off they are and the, the more positive the impact is. You know, I could imagine, you know, so, you know somebody starts in on a service and then they don't live in that area anymore. And next thing you know, they have no way of getting to that service or they abruptly leave and can't be found. And then that service provider is like, oh, we were right in the middle of providing them with this, you know, this service, healthcare, um, these wraparound services. And now we can't because they had to move. So by providing that housing stability, it keeps them in that one place longer so that they can participate in all those different types of services. Yeah. And, you know, in, inside our company, and we say, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to help individuals. We're trying to help um, provide all these um, great and wonderful healthcare services that can, um, that can help make sure you live a healthier life or your child can live a healthier life or that you keep your baby healthy. But the truth is if that mom that we're trying to help is worried that there's going to be any food, right. you know, for her children to have, or there's going to be a roof over mm-hmm. their head uh, tomorrow. They're not that worried about the kinds right. of healthcare delivery services yeah. we're trying to provide. <laughs> In fact, they're not concerned at all right. about them. So that's why we have to think about this mm-hmm. differently. Because if we don't, we're not going to be successful, not in the way that we intend to. Right. Yeah. When making that decision on whether or not this, the rest of this paycheck goes towards, you know, rent or food or, you know, whatever that mm-hmm. may be, you know, those decisions come down to, come down to some tough ones. So. Mm-hmm. As we start to kind of wind down here, um, Lisa, tell me a little bit more about ways that individuals or businesses, community partners, how can they get involved with um, Kitchen on the Street? And do you have any types of events or anything coming up that you wanted to talk about? Well, first and foremost, the first thing they can do is take a picture of their family having dinner together and post it at our, as our ha- hashtag 2019 Family Meal Challenge. Um, I mentioned a few things that are really uh, beneficial for 
for children when they eat dinner with their family on a regular basis. But what we really like to do is just kind of see this sweep through our city and our community. You don't have to be in need to post your photo. In fact, if you just post your photo, it'll be encouraging to the other people to post their photo right. mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, and, and just show what dinner looks like at your at your house so that, again, you're you're promoting that kind of thing. Um, Obviously, people can like us on social media. Kitchen on the Street has a Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram. We have a website. It's kitchenonthestreet.org. If folks are interested in volunteering with us like individuals or small families, they can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or they can sign up for our newsletter at our website. Again, kitchenonthestreet.org. If corporations or small companies or anyone wants to come alongside us um, by bringing a private group of volunteers. They can email me at info at kitchenonthestreet.org. I'll give them some information. I would say in August, we are going to be rolling out a new team building opportunity. Okay, It's going to be fun. Um, I'm not sure if you've watched the show Chopped, but it does include some of that. There's some education on food. There's some education on, it's called SNAP. Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, which, you know, used to be formally known as food stamps. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so this event takes place at our warehouse. It's in groups of uh, teams of people and there will be a cooking competition at the end of it. Um, so there there'll be some winners, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's it's really um, focusing on food and nutrition, but we're really trying to educate people on what it looks like to live on SNAP dollars, which can be kind of difficult. Right. So. And obviously, going back to when you said you uh, first were looking at uh, volunteer opportunities, we're f- running into those roadblocks of finding places to volunteer when you have a child. I yes. assume then that with Kitchen <laughs> on the Street, what are the age limits? So um, children 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, and up can come with an adult. Um, and really the reason for that is, um, most everything takes place on tables. So there's, it's more of a height right. issue than anything else. I, again, grew up here. Um, I wanted my daughter to be a volunteer. So I take volunteering very seriously. So we cap our volunteer groups. I want, I want you as a mom or you as a dad, if you've had the opportunity to talk to your kid all week and say, guess what we're going to go do Saturday morning. This is why we're doing it. You talk that up. And then I book too many volunteers and you don't have anything to do. Right. I just ruined that opportunity (laughs) for that kid. And that could be their very first chance. And I want them to fall in love with this Mm -hmm. because I think that's part of how you serve your community and you become more bonded with other people if you can do that through volunteering. So 10 and up. 10 and up. 10 and All up. All right. Great. Okay. Off on to you then, um, Dr. C. What are some ways that we can learn more about your programs? Are there opportunities for individuals or businesses to get involved with any of these programs? So sure. So United Healthcare, of course, and our health plan, we've got a website you can read all about and learn more about the health health plans that we have and the services we have um, on that website. But, you know, I, when I think about how people can help us, you know, generally speaking, the volunteer events that we participate in, we participate with others. Right. We bring our employees together to try to go participate and be part of the community in a larger way. So we're happy to join, you know, other groups that mm-hmm. are doing similar types of activities and look for opportunities to do that. And I think in addition to that, I think if your listeners and people who are hearing the the show, if it motivates them and moves them to think about healthcare in a different way and what insurance companies, for example, in this case, are trying to do differently right. about trying to deliver healthcare, it's that there's going to be more and more reliance, um, if you will, on um, social um, service providers, if you will, our community partners, um, community organizations who provide housing, help address food insecurity, clothing, um, um, legal assistance, even mm-hmm. um, job training. 
there's going to be, I think, as there's more and more of a focus on the social determinants and the profound impact they have on healthcare costs, I think that these organizations are going to rely as much, if not more than ever, on community support. So I think our community can come together and support um, organizations like St. Mary's Food Bank, you know, your organization, other organizations that are specifically focused on those core social determinant factors that truly have a, um, a, a a terrible impact on on health and as we said long term long term yeah, long term chronic illnesses uh, whether they be physical or emotional um, um, behavioral related matters that um, that you know people in our community then suffer from right yeah definitely all right well thank you both for being on the show today thank you for all that information definitely when this broadcast is posted as a podcast for anybody who missed the beginning or middle or want to listen to it again it will be available we'll have all of the contact information and ways to follow you online as well so thank you both so much thank you for having us yeah, yeah thank you so much yeah definitely and on that note you've been listening to 3c amplified where we share how others are connecting creating and collaborating to amplify their impact and we hope we've been inspired you to do the same in your community. Until next time, I'm Jacqueline Destremps with Another Hand Advantage. Let me help create a digital marketing strategy to put your organization's mission in front of your target audience and highlight the impact you're having in your community. Visit anotherhandadvantage.com to learn more and connect. Mm-hmm.